text for this morning's sermon is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke 2, 1 through 21. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with his, or to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us understand this text, wonder at the glory we see in it. Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts worship as we ought. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What should the spirit of Christmas be? I wonder how people might answer this question. What should the spirit of Christmas be? The question is not asking what is the topic of Christmas, everyone knows the answer is the birth of Christ. But we hear this phrase, the spirit of Christmas. What would it mean to partake truly in the spirit of Christmas? 
Well, I believe when I look at Luke chapter 1 and 2, and I look at the beginning of Matthew, if you're going to look at a theme, what you would have to say is the spirit of Christmas is worship of Jesus Christ. Worshiping the Savior. To rightly have the spirit of Christmas or partake in it would be to worship the Son. If we were going to do an overview of these two chapters, we see Elizabeth, as soon as Mary comes, Elizabeth miraculously has John the Baptist in her womb. In her, in her old age, she was able to conceive, though she was previously barren. And the baby leaps in her womb, and immediately Elizabeth goes into worship of God and blessing, telling Mary how blessed she is and how blessed she is to have the mother of her Lord come and visit her. And then in uh, Luke 1, 46, we see Mary speak out in these amazing verses of worship in what we call the Magnificent, her song. And then when Zachariah's mouth is finally loosed, he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for He has visited His redeemed people. Worship, worship, worship. And as we're going to see in our text, we're going to see thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, multitudes, we're told in the Scripture, angels worshiping at the birth of Christ. And then we're going to see the lowest of all men in society, shepherds, the outcasts, who got to hear this news from the angels, hear the news, go see the baby, and then begin to extend worship to God because of this child. And then when Jesus is brought into the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day, You have an old man, Simeon, who was told by God that before he would die, he would see the Messiah, he would see the Christ. And what we read in verse 28 of chapter 2, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see see this old man worshiping God as he holds the Christ child in his hands. And then right after that, you get this old woman, 84 years old, Anna. Anna. She was married for seven years, lost her husband, became a widow, and every day she would go to the temple and worship and pray for the fulfillment of the promise of Israel for this Christ child to come. And here's what we read. And then as a widow until she was 84 years old, she did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting and prayer, with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God 
and speak of him to all who were awaiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The theme you see is angels and men proclaiming worship to God for the birth of Christ. This is the true spirit of Christmas. This ought to be what our hearts feel as we think about the birth of our Savior. And in the text we're going to look at this morning, verses 20, or 1 through 21 of Luke chapter 2, I want us to worship at His birthplace. As we consider where Christ was born, I want us to worship. And then, I want us to worship with the angels because of the good news they have brought us. And finally, I want to worship with the shepherds as we consider fulfilled prophecy. So let's look at His birthplace. Look at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So just get that in your mind. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So at a specific time in history, when Caesar Augustus was the emperor over the Roman Empire, in those days, he sent out a census that all the world should be registered. This was so he could gather more taxes. He wants to know who all of his subjects are so they can pay tribute to Caesar. The Roman Empire basically sucked everything they could without people being utterly devastated. They would take their money and they would bring it to Caesar. And this happened uh, at the time of Jesus' birth. <clears throat> In Galatians 4.4, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, all of history was looking forward to the fullness of time when this birth would take place. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, in verse 44, Daniel says this, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. In the days of what kings? Well, what Daniel had just said is he had just given uh, Nebuchadnezzar the answer to what his dream was all about. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this statue that had a gold head and it had a silver chest and it had a bronze middle and iron legs and clay and iron feet. 
And so it's a picture of this statue and and Daniel said you're the gold head and after you there's going to come a kingdom that's not going to be as glorious as yours that's the silver kingdom and then there's going to be a kingdom that comes after that that's a bronze kingdom that would be the Greek uh, empire the silver is the uh, Persian empire and then this iron legs the Roman empire would come. And then in the end, the iron will be mixed with clay, but there will be a stone that strikes the feet of this statue and it will fall down. The prophecy is this. Your kingdom that you think is so great right now, there's going to be other kingdoms that come after you. But in the days of those kings, another king is going to come. And his kingdom is never going to come to an end. So when it says at the beginning of Luke 1, in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, this is in the days of the iron legs. This is one of the kings of the Roman Empire. And then we read in verse 3, and all went to be registered. So if you were a part of this empire, you had to go be registered where your hometown was. Each to his own town, verse 3 says. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, as a crow flies... Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary lived, was 70 miles from Bethlehem. And the route they would have had to take there probably would have been closer to 90 miles to 100 miles on foot with a donkey, probably. And Mary being nine months pregnant... But the amazing thing about this is what every Jew would know about the birthplace of the Messiah. You see, one of the prophets who lived about 700 years before Christ told Israel where to expect their Messiah to be born. In the prophet Micah spoke of redemption. He spoke of judgment and exile. But in the midst of his prophetic message to Israel, there was just these drumbeats of hope that there is going to be one that would come. And the one that would come would be a warrior king who would defeat the enemies of Israel. I'll just give you an example. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Micah. I just want you to feel and hear some of these prophecies so that you can worship with me at the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Turn to Micah chapter 2, verse 12. I just want to show you these prophetic promises of hope of the Messiah in Micah. In Micah 2, starting verse 12, he says, And I will surely assemble all of you. So after 
they're going to be taken captive by enemies. He says, I'll surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate and go out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord their head. The picture is this. Sheep being gathered into a city that has walls and it's a safe place. A multitude of men that are loud. They're gathered together. But then he says this. He says, He who opens the breach, that means breaks open the gate of the city. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate and go out by it, and their king passes on before them. The pitcher is going out to battle. We're opening the doors of our city. Our number one warrior is in front. Our king is leading us out. And they're going out for battle. And then look at chapter 4. And starting in verse 1. It says this, And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. It's not that where the temple was in Jerusalem was literally the highest place on earth, but it was going to be lifted up to the highest place. It's going to be the place where the temple is, where the temple of God is, where people from all nations are going to flow into it. One of Micah's uh, contemporaries was Isaiah. He spoke in Isaiah 2.2 the exact same prophecy that there's going to be this mountain lifted up and all the nations are going to flow to the dwelling place of the Lord. And it's no wonder in John chapter 12, verse 32, when Jesus was talking about His death on the cross, on a mountain, that He said this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. The dwelling place of God was in the person of Jesus Christ. No mountain is lifted higher. No one is lifted up higher and shines brighter to draw in the nations. And I've just said all this because I want you to get the flow of Micah's prophecy here. And then in verse 6 of Micah 4, in that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I'll make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Do you remember what David did when he gathered his army 
He gathered the outcasts and the lame, the ones nobody wanted. And he built his army off 300 nobodies that eventually grew into 600. And David was promised another one like him, only greater, was going to come and his kingdom would last forever. That's what Micah is pointing to here. The one who gathers the nobodies. And the one whose dominion will last forever. Well, then that brings us into Micah chapter 5, which is what's so relevant for our text. Look at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So this great one has gathered troops. And the enemy has come to strike the cheek of this great army and the judge of Israel. But look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem is the town. Ephrathah is the district. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. Remember David, the nobody shepherd from the nobody town of Bethlehem that was made ruler of Israel? The prophet is saying there's going to be one coming out of Bethlehem who is from the line of David. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and they shall stand, and and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Here's what I want you to be shocked about. You see. People in Jesus' day didn't know if He was the Messiah. And here was their debate. Here was one of their struggles. In John 7.40 we read, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ from Galilee? You see, Jesus lives in Nazareth, in Galilee. And there they know the prophecy. Is Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over them. Some of them wanted to arrest Him, but no one laid hands on Him. And then look at verse 6. So they couldn't figure out I thought the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Verse 6 says, While they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You see how amazing our God is? Because if you read back in verse 1, 
Caesar Augustus made called for a census. That means God is sovereign over the most powerful ruler in the world to make sure His Son is born in the right place where the prophets of old had said their Savior would be born. You're safe in that God's arms. When the most powerful man on earth, his bidding is just fulfilling the very prophecies of God. It's amazing. In fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus told us in His own words, that the world looks at God's people as a small, weak people. And they think they're in control of how the world functions and where the world's going to go. But Jesus said this in Matthew 24-22, speaking of the end times, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Evidently, the God of the universe functions in this world for the sake of the elect. He cuts the day short for these people that the world looks at as weak and insignificant. So I want to ask you in point one to worship with me at the birthplace of Christ where the wisdom of God is put on display as He brings about fulfillment of all these prophecies. And also, I just have to make note, I know you've thought about this before, but when the King of the universe, God Himself, the God-man, came into the world, He was born in a barn. You know, we, we use that saying, someone leaves the door open, well, were you born in a barn? Well, actually, the king of the universe was. And he was put in a manger. The humility of God. God screaming out to us at what true greatness is. Second, I want you to worship with the angels who bring good news of great joy. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This is what always happens when an angel of the Lord is sent in God's glory, His light. It could have been fire. His shining forth. Glory was seen by these shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you... He doesn't say unto us. We'll think about that in a minute. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So these insignificant shepherds were out in the field and the God of the universe can 
revealed to whoever he wants the birth of Christ. And he chooses these shepherds and they see this angel and they said to them, to the people, to all the people, they're there to deliver good news of great joy. This isn't just good news. It's good news of great joy. And what is the good news? A Savior is born who is the Christ. This is the one whom everyone's been waiting for. We know that the name He was given is Jesus, which means Savior. We know from passages like Acts chapter 5, verse 30, that we're saved from our sins, our greatest enemy. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so they heard the announcement of this good news. And then He says this, And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. What would it be like to hear one angel sing praises to God? What would it be like to hear multiple angels? That It's almost as though heaven has to come. They have to be here. They have to show their amazement for this amazing grace. The angels are worshiping. And yet, He's not said to the angels. He's sent to you. For unto you a child is born. The writer of Hebrews says, for surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. There is no Savior for the fallen angels sent. They'll be cast into the lake of fire and into hell with Satan. But to you, to you, and to you, a child is born. This is good news of great joy for sinners who desperately need their sins forgiven. News is powerful. News is very powerful. Because news educates us if we get good news of reality so we can act accordingly. And the news that's most valuable is what? Breaking news. Somehow, Fox News always gets the breaking news, right? This is the news that just happened that you have to get right now. You don't want old news. That's not much help to you. But this news that the angels bring, that the angel brings, is different than any other kind of good news. There's no other news like it. People have gotten good news before. Let me give you an example. In 1945, at the end of World War II, there was British prisoners of war being held in a Japanese prison camp who were starving to death. They were dying. 
It was sure destruction for them. But amongst those POWs, there was a guy named R.G. Wells. And he was a brilliant man. And the reason why he was so brilliant is he built a radio out of tinfoil, scrounged wires, string, and tree bark. He made this homemade radio in the middle of this camp and he hit it. And they would try to pick up radio waves. He happened to be a low-key radio engineer and he had been stuck in the camp for three years. And so they were able to get bits and pieces of news. But on this certain day, the best news they ever could have imagined came across those airwaves when Winston Churchill announced that the Allied victory in Europe was over and that they had won the war. And we've maybe experienced good news before, but have you ever been at the point where you heard news like that? And yet, think of it. Some of those who were sick, maybe it, I don't know how long it took for them to be freed then. Maybe they died. Maybe they won the war, but they die. Or maybe they come home and they find out their family has died. The victory they wanted is relevant. We're going to get out of prison. But is it really ultimate good news? I mean, we can feel this sometimes. I was talking to my dad this weekend. Being a Minnesota sports fan can be really miserable, as we were reminded of yesterday. But... My dad always wanted the Twins to win. He got to go to the seventh game of the World Series and watch the Twins win the first time. And he says, you know, driving home, it was weird. It's like, has my life really changed? You know, I really wanted this, but it's good news, but what does it really do for us? No news will ever be more relevant than the news of the birth and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. One of the lines to the song, to one of the songs we sang this morning was this, He comes to make blessings flow as far as the curse is found. See, it's a blessing to get out of a prisoner camp. But to get blessing as far as the curse is found, could Christ really be the King to reverse the curse? Could we ever really get bodies that don't get sick again? Could our bodies after we die actually be raised up again? Could all sin really be eradicated from our life and we live in perfect harmony with God and man. There's no news more relevant than this. And it never gets old. You know why? Because moment by moment, you need this Gospel. As you sin, and you're convicted of it, you need to know about Christ. Or there's utter devastation. There's no hope. The most relevant, relevant, relevant news 
there's ever been. Good news has been when the Savior broke forth on this earth because He came to pay the price for what we really needed. We needed our sins forgiven. We needed the wrath of God satisfied in our place. So, worship with the angels of good news and great joy. Third, worship with the shepherds who saw prophecy fulfilled. When the angels went away from them into heaven, now just imagine this for a moment. (laughs) You're shepherding. You just see an angel who talks to you. You see glory. He says, don't be afraid. The Christ is born. He's laid in a manger. Then all of a sudden, all these other angels come and begin worshiping. Then they're gone. Wouldn't you love to just be a a fly on the staff of one of those shepherds and (laughs) just watch them react? What are you going to do? What are you going to do in that moment? You're going to do exactly what they did. They said, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. That had to be one fun journey over. I don't know if they brought their sheep with them or if they said, forget the sheep. I don't know. But they're going to Bethlehem. Their world has been changed in a moment. And verse 16 says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Of course they did. The first person they see, they're going to tell. When you see something amazing, you can't wait to talk to somebody and tell them what you saw. At least that's how I am. I want to be the first one to tell the news. Well, the first people they run into, it seems, is Mary and Joseph. And they get to tell them about what the angels have spoken and what they have seen. And then in verse 18 it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary's had a lot of things to ponder in her life, starting with the virgin birth. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Now here's their worship. I want you to see this. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And then here's what it says. As it had been told them. They were glorifying God, not just because they saw the Christ child, but because the prophetic message of the angels was confirmed to be true. And if that's true, then all the promised blessings must be true. Imagine if they would have went to Bethlehem and looked for a manger and never found it. Now what are you going to do with the vision you saw? Maybe they were drinking too much. I don't know. They got to figure out what to do. But they worshiped God because they found it just as it was spoken to them. And all through these last four sermons, I've tried to show you how amazing the prophetic fulfillment of the birth of Christ is. Because if these are true, then what Jesus said is true. 
And then all the promises promised to Israel and to the Gentiles who trust in Christ are true. And then, if that's all true, then we ought to have the spirit of Christmas in our hearts, worshiping Him and praising His name for this news that will never get old, never go out of date. Christ was born under the law. He became a human being. I don't know if you... I think most of you understand this. You can't hear it enough. Christ is the only one who can save us. Even a perfect man could not save us. Man has sinned. A goat can't take away our sins. A sheep can't take away our sins. It can, in a sense, cover and look forward to a better sacrifice. But even if you had a perfect man, let's say you have one sinner who one sin against an eternal God deserves eternal judgment in hell. Someone might say, well, that's harsh. One sin? Well, judgment is equal to the person offended. You see, if you do something to a police officer, if you lie to a police officer, do something to a police officer, it's different than if you do something to the President of the United States because of his value. We all understand a justice system that has different ranking crimes. Well, one sin against an eternal God, unless God is going to throw His glory down to the ground and say, who cares about my glory? There has to be just judgment on the other side. One sin, eternal punishment in hell because God's that glorious. But God in His wisdom... So let me go back to the one perfect man. A multitude have sinned. All men have sinned. One man dies, what? For one man? How can Christ save everyone? Well, the sacrifice that was born into this world became a real man. He was a human man, and he was a perfect man. He never sinned. He's the perfect sacrifice because he's also a divine man. And his worth is the exact same as God because he is God. So when Christ was born into this world, the only sacrifice, the only thing that could take away the sins of man. The only way good news could be proclaimed for everyone who would trust in Him would be if somehow a God-man was born and never sinned and went and died in our place. There's an old urban legend that's told often in Europe about a Russian prince who had a slave that would help him with all of his dealings. And one day, they were in a dog sled going across Siberia. And on that particular day, a pack of wolves began chasing them. And the wolves had better endurance than the dogs, and the wolves were coming in on this Russian prince and on this servant. And right when they could tell 
that they weren't going to escape the dogs and the dogs were hungry and they weren't going to be able to survive, the servant threw himself off the back of the dog sled and was eaten by the wolves. Well, one man said, when he heard that story, he says, that's definitely an image of Christ. And another man says, no, it wasn't. If you want a good illustration of the gospel, the prince, the king, would throw himself off the sled and be eaten for the servants. That's the amazing thing about Christmas. Christ willingly took on flesh so that he could come and be sacrificed and die so that we could actually really know what good news is that never ends and what true hope is. It's my prayer that you leave here this morning on this Christmas morning worshiping in your hearts for the perfectly timed, perfectly sent, perfectly obedient, perfectly loving Savior that has come on our behalf. Father, I pray that no one here would leave not acting upon this good news. How valuable, how great a news for sinners who have the judgment of God coming upon them on their head. They know they're going to face God one day on judgment to hear of one that could take their judgment, to hear of one who could save them, to hear of one who would make all things right. Father, I pray that we would hear rightly this good news and we would trust in Christ our Savior by faith and be able to rejoice like the angels could never rejoice. For we are the ones whom was sent the Savior. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.